Please turn to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah chapter 43 is where we're going to be reading from this morning and where we're going to be staying primarily in that book. I will use a few other passages um, that I will read, uh, but primarily we will stay there for the duration uh, of the message this morning. And this is a scripture, I texted this out a few weeks ago saying I keep coming back to this passage. Not too long ago, I taught you a phrase. Remember that the Jews would never say God's name, right? His, his proper name was Yahweh, uh, but they would say Yehovah. Uh, and of course, in the Greek, they, that Y became a J, and that's where we get Jehovah from. But in the, in the Hebrew, they would call it Yehovah. And that was his name because they would never say Yahweh. And, uh, and so I taught you a name. I taught you Yehovah Ra'ah. Y'all remember that? The Lord my shepherd. Today, I want you to remember this one. Yehovah Elohim, the Lord, my God. And we want to look at his word today for encouragement and look at his word today for God's promises to his people. Right. And we see that we're going to see that God's promising something specific to his people, Israel and Judah here but the promises and the principles behind this still apply to the church today. While he is talking specifically to a group of people, we know that God has not changed, and we know that we have been grafted into the family of God, so therefore, when we look at this passage of Scripture, we know that this does apply to us, and we'll talk about that in greater detail. So Isaiah chapter 43, we're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, asking for His strength uh, and then we will get on with the message. Isaiah 43, starting at verse 1. It says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this time that we're able to, Lord, dig in your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the encouragement that we receive from your, from your word. And Father, we pray today, Lord, that this will be about you and about your promises. Uh, Lord, and we just pray today that you give us the strength, Lord, today to speak. Father, we pray, Lord, that you guide us with your wisdom, Lord, in that which we say, that everything said, Lord, will be pleasing to you and from your word. Lord, we pray for those hearts that are hurting, and Lord, for those hands that are hanging down. And God, we ask you, Lord, today to be with us as only you can, Lord, because it is your presence that we long for. We thank you, Lord, for already feeling your spirit here. And we pray all of this in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. 
Just a little bit of a background. This portion was written concerning God's love and protection for His people, even though He warns of the exile that is coming that really is, a, is from their lack of faithfulness. And God promises that He would be there during this time. And so we're not, we don't see a God who's, who's promising His presence with His people because they're perfect. We see a God who promises His presence with His people because He loves them, because He cares for them, and He finds them precious in His sight. Today's American gospel, we see a, a, a people preaching a, a, about a God that is almost if God is heartbroken uh, and God is law, somehow undone without you, like, like we complete God somehow. God is self-sufficient, He is self-sustaining, and God needs absolutely nothing. God doesn't desire us because He needs us. He desires us because He loves us, amen? And, and, and he, His presence is promised out of His sheer love for us and not some whimsical need or not some man type of need where, listen, we need each other, amen? I can tell you right now that I need my wife. I need her. I need her in my life. God gave her as a help to me. And I, 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 doing life without her is difficult, right? Or to, even the thought of it is just, uh, it, it's almost paralyzing. And, we, and we've seen, you know, firsthand in this church kind of what that is like. And so, listen, man has a need, but God is in need of nothing, He's in absolute need of nothing, yet he desires us, not because he needs, but because he wants us. And doesn't that make his desire so much better? The problem is, is when we tell the story uh, from the correct perspective with God as the center, we no longer matter as much, do we? Right? It's not that somehow God is, is not going to be able to sleep tonight if I'm not in his presence. It's the sheer fact that God is self-sustaining. He's self-sufficient. He loves me because he does. I am not the center of the story and neither are you however it doesn't mean that the story doesn't include good things for you and I God is the center of the story but in that center of the story is a love story of a God who absolutely adores his creation and so we see here that he's given his word through Isaiah and he's writing about a time that, listen, he's like, he's already, Isaiah's already prophesied about their unfaithfulness. He's already chastised them about that and tells them about, you know, things that are going to happen in the future that is because of how Israel and Judah lived because of their unfaithfulness, because of them taking on false gods. But it doesn't mean that there weren't faithful people at the time. Amen? It doesn't mean that there weren't faithful people and that God wasn't going to be there for those. He was even going to be there for those who were or not faithful because He wanted to show His love for them even though they would have to endure a chastisement that included a 70-year exile. And so we see God prophesying through His prophet Isaiah about His love and concern for His people even though that they have wronged Him, still yet He cares. So if you're sitting here today and you know what the adversary tries to do? He tries to tell you that God doesn't love you as much because you messed up this week. Listen to this. Tell the devil he's a liar. Amen? Amen. Tell the devil he's a liar. God still loves me as much, if not more, than he did before I messed up this week. And he still cares about me. And this message of, of encouragement is for you whether you screwed up this week or not. Amen? 
Now, part of me just wants to do this. If you screwed up this week, put down. I just, just wanted to take a poll there to see who I need to be preaching to and identify some characters along this. Some of people already got to it. Chris, just in case. Right? Just in case. Now, what's interesting about this is most people say that Isaiah wrote his, the book that bears his name kind of in two sections. Right? And starting at chapter 40 on, that was like the second section. And so they date the writing of this time somewhere around 689 B.C. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, Lord, is there going to be a, is there going to be a test after this? i got to remember what year, right? What year did uh, Christopher Columbus, right? In 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Y'all remember that song? All right, I'm not going to teach you a song where you got to know that. But it is important for us to, to, to kind of know what the date is as we look at what happens a little bit later. And so this is written about 689. What's interesting is that there are some progressive liberal Bible theologians that, that now are, are claiming that it's, it's, it may be possible that Isaiah didn't write this, the second half of the book at all. And the reason being is because when Isaiah prophesied, he not only told him it was coming because God told him, he gave the name. He named out Cyrus of Persia. And the only way he would have known that it was Cyrus is had God given it to him. So God not only prophesied that this is coming, but he gave specifics. And so the liberal theologians want to take out God's ability to know everything. And they say, well, maybe it was written by someone later else that was written after the fact because there was no way that Isaiah would have known that it was going to be Cyrus, the, the, the Persian. But listen, I knew how he knew, and you know how he knew, because God told him. Right? So there are, there are people today that are claiming that they love God, but yet they don't love God and love His ability to know all, see all, and do all. Amen? And I found it interesting as I was studying this book that I found these liberal theologians that want to take the, the miraculous understanding of what was to come away from the book of Isaiah because, listen, if they do that, then they have to admit that God is omniscient and that God knows all and that He sees all. And there is a group of people today that doesn't want to claim that. Why? They don't even want to claim there is a God because if there is, then they got some explaining to do. Amen. Amen. And so we see here, it's about 689 that, that Isaiah is writing this. And we'll look at that in a little bit later. But listen, I, I, I want to I preach in more of an expository manner this morning. In other words, I want to go verse by verse. You all right with that? doesn't matter if you are because that's the way I wrote my outline anyway. That's what we're going to do. I, I want us to look at verse by verse uh, of this five verses of this passage today. Uh, and, and then really at the end of this, just draw so, some, some what, what is it that I could take home today out of this? And I want you to go home encouraged more than you were when you walked in today. So let's look at verse 1, and I, I want to look at what I call verse 1a, just the first part. It says, but, but now thus says the Lord. By the way, Lord is all caps there. Remember what that means? Lord in all caps means it's giving His specific name. So instead of looking Jordan looking at me and calling me Dad, it's literally saying Thomas, right? My real name, my, my given name, right? Call my name. And so we see here that, that it says, but now says the Lord, meaning Jehovah or Jehovah, right? Or Yahweh. But now thus says the Lord. And so when you see a, a but now, right, it means that there's now a swing in time. In other words, something's happened, but now, right? 
Anybody ever seen the, uh, the what was the, the name of the movie, the Frosty, uh... oh, anyway, I can't remember. I'll tell you later. Jack Frost. Anybody see the movie Jack Frost? Where the son kept saying, but dad, right? But dad. Anyway, it's a funny joke. Y'all have to watch the movie later. But now means that there's a swing, there's a change, there's something else has happened. And so we look at Isaiah 42, so we look at the previous chapter, and we see that God is calling them out uh, for their, um, well, before their un- because of their unfaithfulness. And so in Isaiah 42, if we just turn back one chapter, verses 24 and 25, I mean, I could read the whole chapter, but I won't, but this will give you the context. It says, "...who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers?" Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned and whose ways they should not, uh, would, would not walk and whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of his battle and it set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. And he's saying, listen, who was it? Who was it that they gave away all that that we hold precious? Who was it? Was it the Lord? Or was it those who were unfaithful? Right? It says, not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, and whose law they would not obey. And so we see this, this time of disobedience. And we see this God turning them over, and it's going to be turning over to their captors. In other words, people are going to come in, uh, and they're going to attack. And we know that that was done by the Assyrians as well as the Babylonians, right? We're going to look at the book of Daniel for just a short while, just for a moment this morning as well. We know that in, in the reign of Jehoiakim, right, that Nebuchadnezzar seized Jerusalem, right? And that was around 605 B.C. And so we know that God is predicting these things that are going to happen because of their unfaithfulness, but he's saying, but now, it's almost like me looking at my son, Jordan or Daniel, and saying, this is what you have done. You've been disobedient. This is the things that you have done that I have against you. But now, know this, I love you. And listen, isn't that what a parent should do? Because that's what God does for us. He tells us what we've done wrong. He makes it very clear. You ain't got to wonder why God is chastising. Let's face it, we don't have to wonder why. We know what we've done. And God is very clear about these things. But He says, but now. And then we're going to receive this encouragement. Saying, this, this is what you have done, but now I want you to understand that I am not going to leave you or forsake you, that I'm still going to be with you. Isn't that a beautiful God that would love us in this way? And so he says, but now thus says the Lord. So we see that now we're turned a corner. We've heard of the rough things. We've heard of the tough things that are going to happen. But now, but now thus says the Lord. And in, in the rest of that verse says, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you and I have called you by name. You are mine. And we see then two aspects that God ties, or in two ways, if you will, that God ties himself to his people. First off, he says that he is the creator. I am the one who formed you. And so listen, God, God lays claim to us in the simple fact that He formed us and He made us, and we are made in His image. Amen. We are made, we, listen, we didn't just happen to evolve to be over millions of years. That's not the way it works. Amen. We were made in His image. 
By the way, if we had been evolved from something else, there would be a lot of fossil records on that of all the transition periods. And guess what? It doesn't exist. And those who don't believe in God and those who have rejected God think that we're stupid enough that we would believe such a lie to say that there was this whole transition period, but we have absolutely no record of it. We have no fossils from that time. We see either man fully made or an animal fully made. We don't see any transition, but we want you to believe that because we think that that's a better idea than to think that we were made from a holy God and that one day we'll stand before Him and give an account of our lives. They think we're dumb enough. Isn't it amazing how really smart people discount the understanding and smartness of other people because we don't have a few extra letters after our name? Amen? Don't you find it interesting that Bachelors of Science has an abbreviation of BS? I just... <laughs> we should probably cut that out of the video, Brian, but that's... Uh... I can't help it. What I, I, anybody else find that interesting? I, I thought it was funny. I still think it's funny, but that's beside the point. So he says, listen, he lays claim to his people because he says, I am your creator. But listen, God goes on further than that. Because remember what, it, what happened with his creation? The very first two that he made, he made Adam, right? Then he put Adam in a deep sleep and he took a rib out of Adam. Uh, and then he made woman, he made Eve, right? He took that one rib out. Listen, women have been a pain in our side ever since, right? Uh, ever since the, the dawn of time in the very beginning. Uh, that's enough. I thought that we'll take that out too. Okay. Anyway, uh, but, but God put Adam in a sleep. And so then he made Eve, right? He made him uh, because he said it was not good that Adam would be alone, but he needed a help meet. Amen. And listen, I can tell you this. When you find a spouse that you love and adore as much as they love and adore you and you truly become one, then you will realize what God did in the garden and how precious it was. But listen, this, as long as you try to live as two individuals in your house, you will never fully get the beautifulness and the, the beauty that God created in marriage. You will, you, you'll cease to find it. You will read about it and you will hear about it, but you won't really experience it until you finally love someone more than you love yourself. And when you do that in your home, listen, you will find what this beauty is and you will find that what Paul called, I'll show you a mystery. And he uses marriage to describe the relationship between Christ and the church. All through the scriptures, we see other times where God has used marriage to explain his relationship. But we see that, you know, Adam and Eve was in the garden. He told them that they could eat of anything in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then we know what happened. They sinned. Right? They sinned. And of course, Adam blamed it on Eve, didn't he? Well, actually, he blamed it on God. That woman you gave me. Right, that woman you gave me, I love that line. Right? By the way, it didn't work, and it still don't work. You can't pray to God, God, that woman you gave me, or that man you gave me, you know how, listen, no, that, it doesn't work. God says, I gave you something beautiful. If you don't find it beautiful, or if it's not working for you, it's probably you, because what I've made is perfect. Amen? But they sinned. And because of that sin, they now created a separation between them and God. It used to be that Adam used to walk with God in the cool of the day. But then when God come walking that day, Adam and Eve was hiding because they knew that they were not clothed. 
And it was that day that God ended up, that we see the, the, the first sacrifice. God had killed an animal and made for them skins, you know, for clothes. Uh, and we know that the Bible says that without uh, the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so listen, we know that God made a plan for redemption of man that included His Son coming down 2,000 years ago and living on this earth in absolutely perfect life and giving His life on the rugged cross so that you and I could have life. And so He says, not only am I your creator, but he says what? I am your redeemer. I made you, and then because of your sin, you caused a separation between me and you, but I loved you so much that that was not the end of the story because I bought you back and redeemed you. God's laying claim to his people, and he's looking at them and saying, listen, not only did I make you in my image, but after you sinned, I loved you so much that I bought you back. Listen, I already had you, but you walked away. You put a separation because of your actions, not mine. But I love you and I care so much that I then redeemed you back so that you could have a relationship with me. Think about this. In 42, we see their unfaithfulness. But now, thus says the Lord, I who created you, I who made you in my image, but not only that, I didn't stop there, but I even so much as redeemed you. Now, you want to see a beautiful picture of redemption. We were sitting on the couch the other day, and uh, we find out that the older we get, the more we turn the TV off and sit in silence. Y'all ever do that? It works pretty nice. Uh, but then we start talking, Salby over there reading or doing puzzles, right? She does both. If she gets quiet, she's doing a puzzle. If she starts to talk, she's been reading the Bible. I know that's how it works, right? Uh, and so she says, I've been reading the, the book of Hosea. Wow. And I don't know if you've ever, uh, there's a song that um, the Crab family did a long time ago. I've come to take you home. I know that you've done wrong. For you, I gave my life to the sorrow, sin, and strife. I wouldn't let you go. That song was written out of the story of Hosea. God told him to take a wife, and she had had a really bad past. She had been a harlot, and I'll leave it at that. Parents, you may have to explain that later, but that's on you. He took a harlot for a wife, and he had children by her, but then she left, and she went back. She went back to her former lover's back into her old practice of selling her body for money. We think about how despicable, disgusting that practice is, right, when we think about that. But she went back and did that. But God, you know what God told Hosea to do? Go buy her back. He, he didn't just go and say, come on, come home with me. He went back and he redeemed her. He bought her back because she had sold herself. And so that beautiful story of this love affair of Hosea and his wife, but then she leaves him, sells herself back in the harlotry, but yet that wasn't the end of the story because God says, I want you to go and buy her back. And why did he do that? So that we could see exactly what it looked like when he redeemed us. Been made perfect in his image, yet we sin against him. And still yet he loves us so much that he would redeem us to the point of sacrificing his own son. What love is this?
What manner of love is this? And so just in verse 1 alone, we see, we see that God lays claim to His people through creation and redemption. By the way, I like what one writer said this. He said, when God you know, established Himself as the Creator and He made us in His image, He says, when we fail, now listen to this, when we fail to recognize God as our Creator, we fail in our most basic obligation to Him. Wasn't that something? When we fail to recognize God as the Creator, we fail in our basic obligation to God. And I think about how many that are living in this day and age that we're in that will stand before God having failed to do even their most basic obligation, which is to recognize that they were made in God's image. That they would rather believe that they evolved from an animal with no purpose Survival of the fittest. They would rather believe that malarkey than to think that they were made in the image of God. I'd rather think that I came from nothing else, some primordial ooze, and evolved from some animal, and all I am is just a, a, a higher sophisticated mammal as compared to the others. I don't know about you, but I love the fact that I'm made in God's image and that I am not just a higher step of species somewhere in the chain of evolution. I'm made with a purpose. And we wonder why people are running around and how easily they can be swept up into all the junk we see going on because they want to feel like they belong to something. They want to feel like they belong and like they have a purpose and they have a reason for being here. So the first person that casts some idea of why they may be here and gives them some reason to exist, they will latch on it no matter how off it is because they want to feel like they belong and they want to feel connected to something. You ask how people can get involved in gangs and things of that. Everybody wants to belong to something. We belong to God, amen? But when they reject any notion of a God that exists and any notion that God would make man in his image, they fail in the most basic of obligation. Let's go on. Let's look at verse 2 together. Now listen, could y'all read that verse with me? I, I, can we just read it together? Brian's going to put it on the screen. Brian's already got it on the screen. Boy, he's slick, ain't he? Whew. We are on it this morning. Let's just, let's just read this verse together. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. I want you to commit that to memory. Because listen, this is quite the encouragement here, packed into one verse. This one verse, when thou pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I don't know about you, but there are days that I feel like I'm in water over my head. Amen. I don't know what you feel like, but I feel like some days, like I'm about ready to be swept away. I'm in the, the flash current, right? Uh, rushing water, and I feel like I'm just going to be swept off into nothing. I don't know. And then there are some days I feel like 
like the heat has been turned up as high as it can go. But listen, when I look at this verse and I realize that this is God's promise to His people and that that promise still exists, He says, when you go through the water, I will be with you. And the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, listen, you will not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. Listen, what a promise we have. But when I look at this verse, I want you to know that it says when. Look at that. It says when. It doesn't say if. It doesn't say perhaps. It doesn't say maybe some. Or it doesn't say maybe a few. It is talking to all of us today, and he said when. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. Sooner or later... Things may be going great for you now, but sooner or later, you will find yourself in a situation that you may feel like you're drowning. You may feel like you're going to get swept away, and you may feel like the heat has been turned up. But listen, but we can lay claim to this promise if we truly love Him and if He is our Lord. Amen? Because just like we talked about in Psalms 23, listen, if the Lord is not our shepherd, then we can't claim anything else after that. But if He is our shepherd, if He is Jehovah Raha, listen, then we can claim that today. And if He is Jehovah Elohim, amen, Lord, your God, then today you can claim this verse with assurance. Not that you're not going to have to go through it, but you'll not go through it alone. Amen? You'll not go through it alone. It's a matter of when, not if. I heard one preacher say this. I was listening to this guy. It was, um, uh, I forget the name of the town, but it was a town in England. And when this guy started preaching, he was a Baptist preacher, and he had that English accent. It's hard to listen to a preacher hack with an accent. You know what I'm saying? When he's reading the verse there, you know. When you pass through the water, it's like, I was just, oh, but listen, I got caught up and listened to him. But he said this one line. He says, if you want to wear a crown in heaven, you're going to have to bear a cross on earth. Boy, that's good, ain't it? Y'all might want to write that one down. If, you're going to, if you want to wear a crown in heaven, you're going to have to bear your cross on earth. Jesus said, right, for us to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him daily. And if we want to wear a crown, we're going to have to first bear a cross. Now listen, I want to look at this, this verse 2 a little, a little bit, if, if you're all right with that. And if you ain't all right with it, well, we're going to do it anyway. Amen? It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. God had already proven that, didn't he? God had already proven that. If you don't believe it, let's go to Exodus chapter 14. I fixed me up one of these books like, uh, like Kevin does. I've been learning from him. Got me some bookmarkers going on. Turns out if you take a sticky note and fold it in half so it don't stick to your pages, you can use that as a bookmarker, by the way. Just a little extra crafty idea for you guys. Let's look at Exodus 14. I'm not going to read the whole story, but I just want to, I want to read a few passages from it. Because I find this very interesting. Remember I told you what years everything happened? That's going to come to play here in a minute. So in Exodus chapter 14, I look at verse 13. And it says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. 
Oh, you know what he's saying? Sit down and shut up. Check out what I'm going to do. Well, that's what I read right here. You may read it a different way than I do, but it says we only have to be silent. Sometimes I don't think we can see the Lord at work because we're too busy running our trap. Amen. Sometimes you just got to believe God and say, listen, God, I'm going to claim to this verse too that I'll go through the waters and you'll be with me. The rivers won't overtake me and the fire's not going to burn me up. I'm just going to claim on to that and know that you are God. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to give anybody a hard time. I'm just going to watch you do your work and I'm going to continue to live with faith and keep walking this walk knowing that that you're with me, amen, and knowing that that promise is for me as it is for you today. But like Moses said here, he said, listen, you're going to see that God is going to fight for you, and all you got to do is be silent. You ever tried to help somebody, but you can't get them shut up long enough to help them? Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When they're like, you ain't going to believe what happened. I said, all right, I, I, I do tax support for a living. Guys call in, I already know what the answer to the problem is. I already know what it is. And they won't shut up long enough for me to tell them. And I just sit there, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then finally they'll stop talking. And, and they're like, are you still there? Yeah, are you done? Yeah. All right, just turn the power off and turn it back on and click this one button and your problem will be solved. Well, why didn't you tell me that? Because you wouldn't shut up long enough for me to tell you. Sometimes that happens, don't it? I just like this. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. That's a, that's a hard thing to do, though, ain't it? Imagine Moses telling him, the Lord's going to fight for you. All you got to do is be quiet. What? I can't talk? I mean, is it going to be quiet, quiet, or can I just whisper? I mean, what if I got to go to the bathroom? Can I raise my hand? I mean, how do I do that? We come up with all the reasons why we can't be quiet. He's just saying, just listen. Be still for a minute. I'm going to fight for you. And then we go down to verse 18. Oh, oh yeah, by the way, the other thing I liked out of that, it says, for the Egyptians whom you see today, <laughs> you shall never see again. You know why? Because they're going to be underwater. Amen. Isn't that cool? You see them Egyptians? <laughs> they think they're going to cross on dry land too. I got something else for them. Wait till you see them. You take a good look at them now because you'll never see them again because that wall of water that I'm holding back while you cross, listen, when you're done crossing, it's going to whoosh right in and you'll never see them again because that's what I do. When I wipe out the enemy, I wipe them out. Remember in the passage we read when we first started this, it says that, that he had beat the Egyptians. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba. These were all enemies that God had defeated for them. God, when he, when he gave this word for Isaiah to give to his people, when he says that when you go through the waters, I'll be with you, they already knew the story of the Red Sea. God was already telling them something that they had already known about. They just hadn't seen it happen for them. They, in their generation, hadn't experienced it. But they already knew that their forefathers, they knew of this story. Isn't that interesting? By the way, go on down to verse 18. It says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. You see, you realize that God wasn't just saving them for their behalf. God was showing the rest of the world that I am God. And when you're going through tough problems, you're thinking that God is just making you go through a tough problem to either punish you or, listen, that has, that most of the time it has nothing to do with it. You may be going through a rough time as a result of some of the decisions you made. Yes, that may be the case. Or you may be going through tough times that has nothing to do with anything that you've ever done. 
It's this, God made us for his glory. And the only way God is glorified is when he does something in our life that we cannot do ourselves. Amen? Because if we could do it ourselves, guess who takes the glory? We do. Sometimes God has to put us in an impossible situation so he can do the impossible so that we know the impossible lives and is not impossible with God. Amen. We continue going to verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. We go on down to verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and their horsemen. So we see God opening up the sea, and we now see God closing the sea on the enemy. And verse 30 says this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and His servant Moses. God was showing the rest of the world His power as well as His children. Listen, sometimes you think you're backed up against the Red Sea and it looks like there's absolutely no way, but God can make a way out of no way. And listen, when you feel you're in that situation, when you feel like you're about ready to drown or the sea's about ready to come in on you, you know this, that God said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And He's done it before. And listen, friends, He'll do it again for you. Amen? When God gave this word, they already knew this story. So when God says, when I pass through the waters, I will be with you, they're like, you know what? He has already done that. And listen, today you know that he's done this. Would he not do the same for you? Does he not care about you? But let's go on. It says, when I'll pass through the rivers, right? And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. Do you realize that God already showed this too? Do you realize they already knew about a story that was just about a river in itself and how people of Israel were able to cross? Listen, let's go to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. In chapter 3, we see that Israel crosses the Jordan River. And in verse 11, it says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take twelve men in the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of their feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, uh, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down above all shall stand in one heap. Now, think about this. You know what he said? Listen, when... The, when the ark of the Lord, when those who are bearing the ark of the Lord, when their feet touch the water, that ark was God's presence. God goes before us, amen? We think somehow God's behind us, giving us directions. No, He's before us. He's before us. And we see here that He says, listen, when the ark of the Lord goes in, at that point you shall watch and you shall see all the waters that were flowing. Listen, God can not only part the sea, but he can take a river that's flowing that would normally carry you away and he can make the water stop in one heap until you're across. We go on down in verse 14. It says, So the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks 
throughout the time of harvest. Oh, I like how you put that extra thing in there. And so not only is it the normal river, but it's the river during rainy season. Amen? A lot of people talk, well, the Jordan River is not all that big at all. But it says here during harvest season, the river overflows its banks. And so God is saying, not only will you cross the Jordan River and I hold the waters back, but I'm going to hold it back at the point when it flows the hardest and when it flows the most. At the time when the river would be the hardest to tame and be more likely to sweep you away than any other time, it is then that I will show you that I am God because the waters have no dominion over me. Instead, God commands all and I will stop the waters from flowing even in the worst of times. You see, sometimes in our life we're going through the worst of times. And the hardest it would, it would seem the hardest for God to make any way for joy, to make any way for whatever it is that we're going through. But we see now here that, listen, when they crossed the Jordan, it wasn't during the low time. It was when the river was at its worst. And listen, when the river's at its worst is when God is at his best. Amen. When the times are the worst for you, that's when God is at his best. He is able to sustain. He is able to help. He's able to deliver. And so it goes on to say, Then the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Jethoran. And those flowing down toward the sea of Aberath and the salt sea were completely cut off. And the people passed over the opposite side to Jericho. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the river. We see two cases of God parting the waters and his people on dry ground. Sometimes, though, I think that we, that we don't trust God, or maybe it's that sometimes we go walking in on ourselves instead of waiting for God and his instruction, and next thing you know, we done got our hip boots on, and we're clean up to our knees in mud and wondering, Lord, why? He said, listen, if you follow me, I'll make sure that you're on dry ground. And so in verse 2, it says, when you go through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. God knows how to take care of his people. And God knows how to, God knows how to make dry ground out of what would normally be a wet and muddy situation. God can dry the land. But listen, he said, thirdly, when, the, when you go through the fire, when you walk through the fire, again, it didn't say if. And by the way, it said walk. I don't know about you, but when I'm on fire, I run. Amen. You will not find me walking. It will not be, hmm, you know, what a wonderful day it is. I'm taking a stroll. Listen, if I'm on fire, you're going to see this big body moving. Amen. You're going to see, look, I'm going to look like Huff's Comet, right? Haley's Comet, except for it's Huff. I'm going to look like Huff's Comet with me running and a tail of fire behind me. I'm running. Amen. I don't know about you, but it says here when you walk. You see, when God's walking with us, we ain't got to run out of fear. We ain't got to run trying to get to extinguish the flame. He said that we can walk through the fire and the flame will not consume you. I like what the King James says here. It says that you will walk through the fire and the fire will not be kindled upon you. 
or the flame will not be kindled upon you. It means, listen, you can walk through the fire and not only are you not going to burn up, but listen, but you're not even going to be singed. Amen? You see, they had already known about the Red Sea and they already knew about the Jordan River. But God added an element that maybe they had not yet experienced. Remember I said this was written about 689? And Nebuchadnezzar, head of Babylon, the king of Babylon, he attacked and, re- and took Jerusalem in 605. That's about 84 years later that Nebuchadnezzar overtook Jerusalem and he took some young men back to his place. Y'all remember them? One of them's name was Daniel. Then he had three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Or you may know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or if you watch Medea, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. But, but I want you to think about this for a minute. Let's, let's, let's turn to Daniel. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Remember when I said that even though we, we see that they're in a time where much of Israel and Judah had rebelled, it doesn't mean all of them had And in the story of Daniel and Azariah and Mishael, in the story of of them and Hananiah was the other one, in the story of these four people, and we see that they're young and they're most likely teenagers, and they were taken, because remember it says that in chapter 1 of Daniel that they took the best looking and, and most learned, right? The smartest and the best looking. They took, and they, and they took them to the eunuchs for them to be taught the way of the Chaldeans. And remember Daniel says that you know, they were given a, a portion of the king's food, but Daniel didn't want to eat it because it wasn't prepared according to, to Jewish dietary laws. And he asked the eunuch if they would not eat it and they would be given pulse or, to eat or, right? or, or beans and th- or vegetables. And so they decided to do it for a short amount of time. And if they still look good at the end of that time, they would do it. He said, because if the king sees you starting to wither away, then it'll be my life. And at the end of that time that they had set, remember Daniel and his three friends, they all look better than all the rest. So we see that Daniel and his friends, there were some faithful people left. And I always, I preached a message one time about the, the, the two people that are not present in the story of Daniel. And you know who that is? Daniel's mom and dad. Somebody taught that young man, amen? By the way, they didn't have Sunday school teachers back then. They didn't have children's church. They were taught at home. By the way, God still commands us to do that, amen? We love the Lord God with all our heart, mind, and soul. And we're to teach each to our children. When we get up in the morning, we walk along the way, when we go to bed at night, when we go in, when we go out. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema is what the Jews call that passage. And so now we see that we saw Daniel, but now we see his three friends, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah. I like calling them that because that was their Jewish names. They gave them Babylonian names. But I, I like, the, I like their, their God-given names. Hey, man, don't you like that? We see that that they were faithful. 
And that because they were faithful, God was blessing them. Even though that, they, listen, when they went to the house uh, of Nebuchadnezzar, they were not there as just house guests, amen. They were taken captive. They were prisoners. And still yet they were faithful to God, not using their situation as an excuse to not be godly. We got to watch ourselves when that comes, don't we? We got to watch ourselves because sometimes we'll find ourselves in a, in, in just in a rough time. We'll find ourselves in a hot spot. We'll find ourselves going through some difficult times in our lives. And sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll use that as an excuse. You know, I, well, I'm just going through so much that I'm just, you know what, I'm just going to lay down right now. That's not what God says to do. We're to still be faithful regardless of the situation. They didn't use their situation as an excuse to do wrong. I don't know about you, but if I'd have been Daniel and I could have had stuff from the king's table, I'd be like, listen, you know, when in Rome. I mean, the Lord put me here. I'm sure there was some good food, y'all. Y'all know what I'm saying? Hey, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a Jew. I bet you he had bacon. And Daniel may have not tasted bacon, but I'm sure he smelt it. And even bacon just smells good. You know what? They ought to have an air freshener in your house. Bacon. We don't need Febreze, uh, uh, white, uh, Sal bought some Febreze linen sheet. Who wants to smell that? Give me bacon Febreze. Man, I'd spray it on crackers, wouldn't you? If you give me bacon Febreze, I will straight spray it up on some townhouse. Townhouse is the best crackers, by the way. Man, I could just, anyway. I do you, I, I, listen, I can tell you this. I'm not near as strong as I make out to be sometimes. Even I sometimes get upset with the Lord in our situation and find it tough. And after a while, when you go through pain every day, whether it's emotional, spiritual, or physical, sometimes all three, after a while, the devil starts in your ear. I ain't gonna lie. Sometimes the devil speaks louder than my ear. Because I ain't listening for the Lord. And I get tired and I get mad. And I start acting in a way that is inappropriate or not pleasing to God. And you probably have done the same. But by the way, the promises in Isaiah chapter 43 is still for me and it's still for you. Amen. I didn't earn it. He freely gives it. But we see here. That Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they were faithful. And Daniel. In chapter 3, we see the story of the fiery furnace. Remember when God gave them the word from Isaiah in 689, they knew about the Red Sea and they knew about the Jordan River, but he also mentioned fire now. And I don't know about you, but I, I wonder. Well, let's just read the story and I'll tell you what I wonder in a little bit. Chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Therefore, at the time the Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, they declared, O King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever. You, O King, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, and trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
Then verse 13 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Then verse 16, let's go down to that. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if it not... But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I just wonder. I don't know. I, I don't know what it was like, but I guess when they sent for Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, or Shadrach and those fellers, I imagine when they sent to them, they knew what the deal was going on. And I, I just wonder while they were making their way to the king, if they thought about Isaiah 43. Because when you walk through the waters, I'll be with you. And the rivers, they'll not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, it shall not consume you. You will not be burned. I wonder if they were talking about that. You know, I remember, I remember mom and dad teach me about Isaiah 43. And, and when they talked about the water, they told me about the Red Sea. And when he talked about the rivers, he talked about the Jordan. But then they talked about the fire. And I don't know anybody that's been through the fire. But fellas, we're getting ready to go through it. But I guarantee you, if he was faithful at the Red Sea, and if he was faithful at the River of Jordan, listen, then he'll be faithful in the fiery furnace. If we take our stand here, then we know that God can deliver us. Because he was faithful in those others. And we're getting ready to find out if he's faithful in the third. How about you? When it feels like the heat is on you, do you remember back and think about all the times that God has been faithful? Do you think about all the times that God has done something in your life? Listen, I told the crew on Wednesday, or our Wednesday night Zoom, if you're not joining us on Wednesday, you're missing out. We even had a, a cooking, part cooking show, part Bible lesson on Wednesday. And by the way, I was thrilled. I teased them a lot. Y'all know that I tease people I love, right? I pull Sal's hair every day just because I love her. It's what you do when you love somebody. You just tease them, right? That's what we used to do on the playground. Hey, so-and-so's pulling my hair. Oh, he likes you. Y'all remember that? Got a crush on you. But I was telling a story on Wednesday night that uh, I went back to, I had to go to the office on Tuesday down in Hanover and I pulled up and I saw that, that Mike Zendorf's truck was there. Mike Zendorf, I asked y'all to pray for him about two weeks ago that they went in. He was going to have surgery because he's got cancer in both his bladder and his prostate. And they were going to go in, and they said that, it, listen, if, if he's going to have cancer in the bladder and the prostate, these two places that he has them are, are about the best possible outcome. And so he, he, Mike, I just want to get this out, but he goes to the doctor to get cleared for surgery. And they did a test, and they did it again. His heart was an AFib. They said, if we put you to sleep right now, you would surely die on the table, Mike. Mike said, I don't know, but I want this cancer out of me. And so he told me, he said, Huff. He says, just pray for me. I said, Mike, I ain't going to just pray for you. But listen, I got some people up on the other side of the hill, across the river over here. These people know how to pray. And I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. Eastern Panhandle, West Virginia, we're going to shake heaven for you, Mike. 
We're going to pray for you. You just keep me posted. Well, what you don't know is that last Sunday he had emailed me. He said, Huff, you ain't going to believe this, but I'll tell you when I get back. But I'll just tell you this. Tell your church their prayers work. I don't know who you got praying up there, but these, them people's good. And so I, I pull up, and there's Mike's truck a week after surgery. Now he had surgery the previous Monday. So here we are a week and one day, and Mike shows up for work because that's the kind of guy Mike is. Mike said that he, it, on the day of his funeral, he's going to work half a day. That's just this way Mike is. Mike going to come work. I roll up, and there's Mike's truck. Mike, somebody else saw that Mike was in the office and they called the market manager, Kim, and they said, do you realize Mike's back at work? And she goes, Mike can't be at work. He ain't been cleared by the doctor. They said, well, you might want to tell Mike that. And so Mike had saw that I had pulled in. He come in and says, listen, they're making me go home, Huff, but I got to tell you. He said, when I went to that doctor to take that heart test, he said, the guy shook his head. He says, I don't believe this. He said, what? He said, that test that they sent me, they did it twice, and it was exactly the same twice. And they used that machine on other people, and it works fine. He said, but I'm going to tell you right now, your heart is in perfect rhythm. He said, we could time Big Ben off of your heart. He said, it is absolutely perfect. And he said, Doc, would you say that it was a miracle? He said, well, I don't know if it's a miracle. He said, you said it was bad before, right? He said, yeah, you said it's not even present now, right? He said, not even a hint, Doc, not even just a little bit. He said, absolutely not. He says, well, we call that a miracle. He says, I don't know about you. He said, but I got some people in West Virginia that's been praying for me and I know that God has touched me. Do the surgery. I'm ready because God has done his work. Amen. Boy, and he, listen, he got me fired up and I got to teach about furnaces after that. Oh, you talking about fired up. Amen. Boy, I was teaching furnaces like that. Boy, I ain't ever seen you this excited. Man got me cranked up. You can't come in and tell me about a miracle and make me teach about furnaces, amen, unless it's the fiery furnace. But the gas furnace presentation did not include Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think I need to add it. But man, y'all seen that old boy's face. Lit up. He said, Huff, I was raised Catholic and I've been Catholic all my life, and I don't know people that do what you do like that. And your people up there, but you thank them for me. He said, I'm going to tell you, God's done something. He said, God has touched me. He said, and it's a miracle, and it'll never be nothing but. And I said, Mike, you just got to understand the medicine type people, they don't like to be outdone. You got to remember that. They don't like to be outdone. But listen, they, they wasn't nothing they could do to you because God done done it. They took care. He said, I said, listen, they'll bill you anyway, though. He says, that's all right. I'll gladly pay that bill and write that check up. Here, thank you for confirming what I already knew. God touched me. Listen, you ain't never met him. Mikey's about the nicest guy Chris has known. He's the nicest guy you ever meet in your life. When you look at him, he's just one of them fellows that he's just when he smiles, you just can't help but love him. I don't care what he was raised. I asked Mike, Mike, you believe in Jesus Christ? Yeah, you believe he was the Son of God? Yeah, do you believe that you're saved by anything other than faith in Jesus Christ? He said, absolutely not. Jesus Christ is the only way. Amen. And he's your... And he's my brother. Amen. He's my brother. I don't know about you, but I think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was probably walking along the way. 
probably recounting the times that God had done something special in their lives. Because that's what we should do. Because I can tell you this, I can't remember back a time ever that God was not faithful. I can't remember a time that God did not show up in a mighty way. It doesn't mean that the way was easy. It doesn't mean that there wasn't some tough nights. Sal and I have laid awake some nights talking about the what ifs because I know that Listen, there's something more important than the physical life that I lead here. I've got an eternal soul. We all got to go somehow. If there's ever been a time this year that we're more cognizant that life can leave us immediately, it's this year. We've learned a hard lesson, amen? We've learned a hard lesson. It doesn't matter how healthy you look. It doesn't matter. Listen, when God says it's time, it's time. We can't stop that. And so when you're facing times and you're facing words like cancer and those things, and several others of you in here have faced the same thing, and still yet God touches lives, and we know that God is able, and we just trust Him with our life. But we've spent some nights awake. I'm sure others of you have done the same exact thing. But I keep coming back to this. Whatever happens, God is faithful. God is faithful because in this life we live by faith. But when I leave this world, I will then live by sight. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But I bet you if you think real hard, I don't think you even got to go real hard. I bet you could think back of a time that God has done something faithful for you. I remember times that God has done miraculous things and miraculous healings. I also remember times that God has brought me through tough times. It wasn't overnight, but he brought me through. Amen. I tell you, God has healed our marriage. Times that we've screwed up and I've screwed up real bad. And yet God gave us healing. And we could look at each other with love in our eyes and truly mean it, that I love you. God has healed us. God has put our homes back together. God has given us great lives in spite of the decisions that we've made. And God's done that for you and he's done it for me. Amen. So when we see these three Hebrew boys walking along the way, on the way to Nebuchadnezzar's house, boy, he's chapped. Amen. He's hot. He's mad. And they decide among themselves, listen, I like what he said. We have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, we ain't got to think about it, amen? Well, but you, they were settled, amen? They were settled. We ain't got to think about this thing. We ain't got to answer you in this. It says, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand. I don't know about you, but a lot of people are using fear these days. I don't care who ends up in that office of that White House. It doesn't matter. But we need, I, I sent something, I, I watched Dr. Tony Evans the other day and, and uh, sent it over to, uh, to Kevin and to, to Dave. And it was really good, but there was a line in there. What was that line? Bro? Yeah, he ain't going to fix the White House without going through the church house first. Amen. I can tell you this, it doesn't matter who ends up in office down there. 
I still serve a living God. And the Bible tells me that things are going to get hard. Things are going to get tough. But my God knows how to deliver. By the way, let's go on down. In verse 21, it says, Then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics and their hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And on down in 24, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And he answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and says, But I see four men unbound. Amen. Man had to bind them. But listen, God let them loose. They may have went in the fire with their hands tied behind their backs. But when they looked in the furnace, amen, there were four men walking and they were unbound. Why? Because listen, man cannot bind, amen, God's people. We are free. It says, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like of the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps and the, and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not sins, and the cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had ever come upon them. Amen. That's what God does. He could take you through the fire. He said, listen, now look at verse, 20, uh, uh, verse 2 again in 43. He says, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. In the rivers they shall not overflow thee. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be consumed and the flame will not take you. Amen. They had seen two. Two of those things they already heard about from their ancestors. But now these three boys found out about the fire themselves personally. Because that's what God will do for you. But you know what I like about that? That's not where this beautiful passage ends. Let's go to verse 3. And I'll, I'll hurry. It says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give you Egypt as a ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. He's saying this. He says, For I am the Lord your God. That is, Jehovah Elohim. Lord your God. So, man, listen, when he's Jehovah Raha, and when he's Jehovah Elohim, amen, the Lord is my shepherd, and the Lord my God. He says, I've, listen, I've given peoples in exchange for you. You know what that means? He said, I've caused you to triumph over your enemies. And I've laid your enemies flat out in waste. Because, well, because why? Because in verse 4, he tells us, he tells us what his motivation is. It says, because you are precious in my sight and honored. And I love you. And I give men in return for you peoples in exchange for your life. Why? Why can I walk through the fire and not have to worry about being burned? Why? How can I pass through the waters and not worry about being alone? How can I pass through the rivers and not worry about being swept up? Because the Lord, my God, finds me precious in His sight. And it says that he loves us. I love you and I give men in return for you. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. But I like this in the New Testament, in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. We know John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, today we are still God's chosen. Amen. Jesus told his disciples, you've not chosen me, I chose you. A chosen race. A peculiar people. I can trust God because I know the motivation for God of being with me in the water, being with me in the river, and being with me in the fire. I know that his motivation is out of love. And devotion. I've told the story before, but I remember I remember a tough time in my life. And I remember the police were after me and back in the eighties. I don't know if y'all remember in the nineties, people had scanners. We call it the nosy neighbor club. You know that people have scanners and when they hear somebody's name they recognize, they start calling everybody? Y'all know what I mean? So when I pulled up in the driveway of my mom and dad's house, my dad met me at the door and said, son, I already know they're coming to get you. I said, yeah. I know, Pop. He said, well, you ain't going to hide here. He said, I give you two choices. First choice is you can keep running. The road's that way. And when you go down the hill, I'm not going to look at which way you go, left or right. So when they come here, I'll tell them, I don't know which way you went. But if you're running, you ain't staying here. He said, or, or you can go in and face the music and the judge, and I'll take you in myself. I said, What? He said, either run that way or get in my car and I'll take you in myself and I'll go with you. I said, you going to go with me? He said, Huff, I'll go with you. He says, I'll go with you and I'll stand right beside you. He says, I know you're not perfect and I know you ain't always done what's right, but son, he said, listen, I can tell you this, we don't run from our mistakes, we admit them. And if you're willing to admit your mistakes, I'll stand with you. So I got in my dad's car. And we drove to the courthouse. And he walked me in the magistrate court. And we got there and we told him who we were. And they're like, well, they're on their way to get you. My dad says, no, that's not the way we roll. My son's here. And he says, you're his father? He said, yeah. All right, we'll bring the boy in. Dad said, all right, but I'm coming with him. He says, well, all right. And I remember standing there in front of that de the judge's desk. It wasn't like you see on TV. He wasn't high up. It was in his office, and he was sitting at his desk. And, and I remember him reading off the charges. And my dad standing right there beside me. 
and they told me all the possibilities, you know, what I could be sentenced to. And, and they let me go because my dad was there with me. They let me go and he had to sign that he would make sure I appeared to court. So I remember walking out of court. We got back in the car and he had this old white Toyota Corona car. Ugly thing. Good grief, it was ugly. He was riding back home. I looked at him and I said, you must have been embarrassed, huh? He says, you're my son. When you do the right thing, I don't care what else you've done. When you stand for the right thing and you admit it, I'll never be ashamed of you. And I'll always stand with you. And my dad showed me that day what God just said right here. You're precious in my sight. And I love you. And my dad showed me that day what a loving father looked like. And I've never forgotten it. And I've always wanted to stand with my kids the way my dad stood with me that day. Lord knows I had done enough to make him ashamed of me. But when I decided to do the right thing and stand up and be a man, he was right there beside me, loving me. And in some ways, even proud of me. And that's what God does for us. He loves us. His people had done some things wrong, but that didn't change how he felt about them. Even though they would be carried into exile and for 70 years they would have to live that way as a result of what the things that they had done, but still yet God's love for them hadn't wavered at all. He cared about them. And then verse 5 takes us to the end. He says, and fear not for I am with you. For I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather. You know what he's saying? Don't be scared. This is not the end of the story. I'll bring you back. In the right time, you'll come back to this place that you love in Jerusalem. They would come back and they would rebuild the temple. And if you read Ezra and read Nehemiah, you'll see how God did exactly what he promised here. Over a hundred years before that. Actually, almost 200. 84 plus 70, whatever that is. God's faithful. Would you stand on your feet?